Acts chapter 15. Hear the word of God. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. They declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. The grass withers and the flower falls. The word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's pray. Lord our God, we ask that you would open your word to us. It is your living and active word that stands forever. Oh Lord, we ask that you would work in us, work in our hearts, That your word would not just enter our ears, but into our very hearts. Lord, we pray for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I remember from uh, when I was a small child, my grandfather's office on his dairy farm in Indiana there was a uh, there was there were a couple of items on the wall in that office that I greatly admired as a youngster. Uh, one of them was his old Remington 22 rifle. I thought that was the most spectacular thing I had ever seen. Uh, the other thing that was on the wall was an old ox yoke, a heavy beamed ox yoke from an earlier time when the farm was. Uh, uh, it had to be done, all the farming had to be done with animals, with livestock. You didn't have tractors. And it was a, a relic of times gone by, harder times. Uh, the farmers had to work in the fields with uh, backbreaking labor, just very difficult labor, and for very little yield. Even with tractors, the farmers worked 
usually year to year. Uh, if one one season with too much rain or too little rain would uh, could could make or break a farmer. In the old days, you had to do all of the the work by hand or with animals. So uh, maybe you've turned a garden. We had we turned a garden with by hand with shovels. And the uh, the boys were were less than enthusiastic about that task. It's a difficult work. It takes time, and you can do it with a shovel, but you can't do that much with a shovel. You can do a garden with a shovel, but going and doing fields is another story. And so, um, when you had to re- rely on what you farmed for food for the next year and have leftover seed for planting, well, you need to cover a lot of ground. And so you had the, the yoke. You would use it for oxen. The, the, mules were, uh, the mules were more difficult, and the horses, you had to have, have a much different setup for them. But for the oxen, you could put the yoke on their neck and, and have a team of oxen that would be able to pull a plow or pull a wagon and do the work uh, together. Here the yoke is used as as a picture of keeping the law. Keeping the law in a way that a person is righteous before God. You see the the picture that is given here. Setting the yoke upon the Gentiles that they, and indeed upon all people, that they must not only trust in Christ, but they must keep the law as well. They must be circumcised. And here the, the men that were teaching circumcision in verse 1, I believe that's, that's they're speaking not just of that one Old Testament sacrament, but of all the law of Moses. It's, it's used really as a, a, the technical word is a synecdoche. It's used as one part of it is a picture of the whole. And here it's laid out more clearly when it comes to the party of the Pharisees. It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So we started looking at this last week, this keeping the law. But our focus was really on the authority of the church. We talked some about the government of the church and, and the, the, authority, the, the authority that the church had, but when it was a submissive authority. It was the authority that the church has is delegated by Jesus, and it's only as the church brings the word of Christ and applies that. If it deviates, then they're going outside of what uh, the church is going outside of what it has the authority to do. Um, and so that was our focus last time, but it is such an important point here that is being made. I, I believe that it was necessary. It's, it's worthwhile for us to come back and look at this because it is so easy to slip back into that yoke of slavery, not just keeping the law of Moses, but any works, any addition to the salvation that Jesus has purchased, we, we try to shoulder some part of our salvation, something of it, but it's a yoke too heavy. Works cannot save us. Christ alone can save. So our main point, fallen man cannot keep God's good law well enough to earn salvation. Christ alone has successfully shouldered the law And we must trust in him. 
Fallen man cannot keep God's good law well enough to earn salvation. Christ alone has successfully shouldered the law, and we must trust in him. So our first heading, law-keeping is an impossible yoke for salvation. Again, here, the the picture is of a yoke in two parts. It's actually the the Greek word can be be used also for the, the bar across a set of scales in measuring it. It holds the two pieces together. And so here the, the picture is of being in harness together. And so these, what was going on was these, the Jewish Christians, they were holding on to what had been before. And especially you see the Pharisees. We've met the Pharisees many times in Luke's gospel. And if you read the other gospels, they are some of the primary ones opposed to Jesus. They want to hold on to the traditions. And here you see these are Pharisees who've, uh, who've uh, professed faith in Christ. They're looking to him as the Messiah. They wouldn't be here in the, uh, in, in the, the gathering, in the council of the, the church. Uh, they wouldn't countenance that uh, if they were just Pharisees trusting in the law of Moses. No, these are people who have come. They've professed faith in Christ as the Messiah, but they want to keep Moses as well. So they want both in. They want Jesus. That's good. Okay. He's the Messiah who died on the cross, who was raised again. But we need to obey the law of Moses. We need to be Jews as well. And that's how salvation is accomplished, is sort of Jesus in one side of the ox yoke and you in the other. And you pull together and the end is your salvation. The law of God has, uh, there have been various aspects of the law of God from the very beginning. You think you can go back uh, to the Garden of Eden. There were certain things that the people had to keep. Uh, Adam and Eve had to keep certain things. And those, are, those would count as laws of God. You, uh, Pastor Stazen has um, been going through a, a mini-series on the, uh, on the creation mandates. And those various things that man was supposed to do. Um, the last one he looked at was the Sabbath keeping. That was a creation mandate. And so those were things that man was supposed to do that, that were binding. Uh, and that they would go and, and fill the earth, subdue it. Don't eat of the tree. These were laws. But, and, and you see there that, that those laws are binding. When God gives instruction, that's binding. That has to be kept. And here, really, it's, it's focused on uh, the law of Moses. And, but all of God's law would be included. Everything has to be kept. You can't leave out any part of God's law. And what is what do we call law-breaking? Uh, uh, breaking God's law. That's what we call sin. Our catechism puts it very plainly. The children... Uh, are very familiar with this. What is sin? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. John in the letter First John says that everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. 
Sin is lawlessness. So breaking God's law is sin. That's how we got into the state. That's how we got to the point of people dying. All of this, this is because of lawlessness. This is based on God as he's the creator. He's the lawgiver. He gets to decide how we live, what's right, what's wrong. He makes the laws. We understand this even even in a secular world, even where it's even a bit more arbitrary, um, where we have elected officials and they're able to make the laws. And we might be frustrated with them, but... It doesn't really matter our opinion of whether we like the law or not. We're bound to keep those laws or face the consequences from the rulers. We might disagree with them. We might uh, say, well, that's not a good law. We can, but the, the fact remains that if we don't abide by the law of the land that's laid down by the lawgivers, then we'll face the consequences. On a much grander scale, that is how it is with God. He's the unelected one. He's not, he didn't run for king of the universe or something like that. But instead, it's by nature, by his nature as God, as the creator, this is all his. He owns it. He made us. We are his. So he has all right to make the laws and he makes them good because he is good. And man, when he doesn't obey, that's, that's what we term sin, is that breaking of God's law. Jesus summarized the law. This is all the law summarized. Make it nice and neat. A tight little package here. It's easy to remember. The Pharisees were coming to Jesus. He had silenced the Sadducees already. Matthew 22 and they're, they're trying to figure out how do we stump Jesus? How do we get him to be quiet? Let's just, he keeps answering all of the questions. He answers them too well. We need to silence him. We need to demonstrate that he is, he's not as smart as he thinks he is. And then a lawyer asks him, one who is a, a, an expert in the law of Moses. He says to him, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? So pick one. You shall not murder. Have no other gods before me. Which one is the great commandment? And Jesus doesn't go to the Ten Commandments. No, he goes to Deuteronomy 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. It's not even labeled the great and first commandment. It's not set there, but he says, this is the summary of all of it. Everything is summarized in this. Love the Lord your God. Everything in you. And so then we can start plugging in all those other commands under that heading. Well, if you love the Lord your God, will you worship an idol? Absolutely not. If you love the Lord your God, would Adam eat the fruit from the tree? No, of course not. No, if you love the Lord your God, you obey the Lord your God. So he summarizes it all in that. And then he go, it keeps going. He says it doesn't just stop with the first one. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He turns over to Leviticus 19. And he picks these two things out. Of the Old Testament scriptures 
Things that we probably would never have picked up on ourselves. And they perfectly summarize all of it. Have you kept it? Have you loved the Lord your God? That's where the question comes in. Here's the law. Have you done it? We read this last week from James 2. Forever keeps the law, the whole law, but fails in one point and has become guilty of all of it. Even one point. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees had dedicated themselves to studying the law. Remember, Jesus said, uh, you need to listen to them on the points where they're accurate on the law of Moses. Uh, Jesus uh, also noted that they went so far in their tithing, they were, so, they were so particular in their law-keeping. They, they were even going into the garden and counting the number of leaves on the, their mint plants so that they could tie the tenth of it. So as far as external law-keeping, these were some of the better examples. These were people dedicated in their entire lives to the externals of law-keeping. But... If you're familiar with the, uh, with the Sermon on the Mount, and you ought to be very familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. If you're familiar with it, you know that Jesus goes on to teach on the law. And what does he say? He says, you can't just limit thou shalt not kill to murder. There's a sin of the heart as well. It's not just external law keeping. There has to be the heart behind it as well. Yes, it's wrong to go and club your neighbor to take his wallet. That's wrong. Don't do that. But it's also wrong to be angry with your neighbor in your heart when he cuts you off on the road. It goes much deeper. It's not just external. It's loving the Lord your God with all your heart, not just with all your actions. Whoever misses on one point is guilty of all. We could keep going. Think about we have we have the divide the sins into sins of commission and the sins of omission. There are things that we do wrong, that we actively do wrong, whether it's uh, doing, saying something angry, an angry word, or a gossiping word, a slanderous word. That's a sin of commission. We're saying something. If you lie, you're bearing false witness. But then there are things we leave undone. When we don't worship God, we don't give him affection. 
We leave undone the reading and meditating upon God's word. Deuteronomy 6 that, that Jesus quoted from it says that we ought to be speaking of God's law all the time. It ought to be in our hearts, our minds all the time when we rise up, when we lie down, when we're in the way. It should be, it should be as though it's printed on our foreheads and bound to our hands. Not my phylactery, but it ought to be so prevalent that it is as though it's right before our eyes all the time. If you've left that undone, you've sinned. It's not loving the Lord your God with all your heart. Have you done it? Thomas Watson, the Puritan, said... A man may as well touch the stars or span the ocean as yield exact obedience to the law. You may as well just try to reach for the stars and grab one or reach across the ocean as keep the law perfectly. All have fallen short. We read Psalm 14. Paul quotes it in Romans. It says this is where we're at. He presents the case for uh, the, the Jews who have the law. He presents the case for the Gentiles who are without the law. And he says, so uh, is one better off than the other? Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 3. This is verse 9. What then? Are we Jews better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. And you see, he's bringing up this problem that they're dealing with here at the Council of Jerusalem. So the Jews are better off, right, than the Gentiles, and so if Gentiles just become like Jews, then they'll be okay too. And Paul says here, no, it's, it's not one is better off. The Jews are condemned by the law, and then the others who don't have the law of Moses are condemned by the law written in their hearts, what they have seen in all the things that are made. They have God's law. They have enough to condemn. Everyone stands guilty. We're all standing guilty before God. No one is righteous. The ship of works righteousness has sailed away and none of us was on it. It's gone. It's done. And so Peter here, as he speaks to this issue, does the law need to be kept? We're talking about for salvation. He says, this is a yoke that is too heavy to bear. He said, our fathers couldn't bear it. Did they have righteousness according to the law? No, they did not keep the law. And you have the whole Old Testament. You can see time and time and time again, what do the prophets bring? They bring all of the disobedience. Even even David, the one who God says is a man after my own heart, he breaks the law and breaks it grievously. They're all unrighteous. There is no salvation in the works of the law. It's a a burden too heavy to bear. 
Christ alone is able to bear the yoke of the law. And this is, again, this is, this subject here is closely related to Galatians. In fact, what Paul writes about in Galatians is, is probably the exact thing that brought them to the Jerusalem council. If you compare the two side by side, it is so close that it's very likely that what Paul is talking about to the Galatians is the very, uh, the very things that brought them to this point of the Jerusalem council where they have to look at this issue. Is there salvation? Is, is salvation Jesus plus my law keeping? And he again and again in Galatians stresses this is another gospel to add to the salvation that there is in Christ by grace through faith is another gospel. And that's he chides them for that. He says, you're foolish. You foolish Galatians. Who's bewitched you? And he's talking about people who are coming and saying, Live under the law. Live, obey the law. You have to have this for salvation. But he points to Jesus. No salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. This is the gospel we received. He says, if anyone else comes with another gospel, he says, if it's me or an angel from heaven, let them be cursed. Let them be cursed by God. If they bring another gospel, there is no other than the one you received Salvation in the crucified Savior. Jesus is the one alone able to bear the yoke of the law. Jesus came as a man. Jesus, eternal God, became man and was born under the law. Listen to what Galatians 4 says. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Jesus himself keeps the law perfectly. And we see that it's laid out for us. Jesus did not sin. He kept it perfectly. There is no point that he did not keep. And you see him even in his communion, in his prayers to the Father. You see the total love for God. He, as a man, Jesus, was, he took to himself a true, uh, true humanity, a true body and a reasonable soul, as the catechism says. And he kept that law. He loved the Lord God with all his heart. He loved his neighbor as himself. He did all of these things. He kept everything perfectly. He was born under the law and kept the law in our place. We who did not keep it and were already condemned by the law. Jesus is the one who alone was able to bear that yoke. No one else can say this. No one else can claim this, that they have done this. Jesus kept it in our place. That's what the cross was for. He died the death that we deserved. So he kept the law perfectly. So he didn't deserve death. But then he died in place of those who did deserve death because 
death is the wage of sin. Salvation is all of Christ. It's not a synergistic effort. It's not me and Jesus together working together. We'll pull the same direction and it will end in my salvation. I'll do enough good works. Salvation is either of Christ or of something else. We're either trusting in Jesus's law keeping and his death and we're united to that. So we're treated as though we had kept the law perfectly because we're united to Christ. We're treated, uh, uh, we're, uh, uh, we don't have to die because we're united to his death. We've already died in Christ. You see that salvation is all about union with Christ. And it's either all him or something else. A combined effort isn't going to do the trick. Jesus isn't just sort of waiting on one side of the yoke to see if you'll pick it up and and together you'll be able to pull it the rest of the way. If, If your salvation is dependent on your works, in any measure, all is lost. Because if you know your own heart, you know that you won't keep that law perfectly. If he says, okay, well, you just keep it this far and then you'll have salvation. If you know your own heart, you know your own history, you know that you, you'll fail on that. If he says, all right, keep the law for one day, just 24 hours. And out of all the days I've given you, keep the law perfectly. You know that you'll fail. If it's dependent on you in any way, all is lost. And to, to come with a, with a view that we, we can accomplish something has too low a view of sin and too high a view of human good works. We think very highly of our good works and what we're able to accomplish. And we're very, very uh, shielded from what we really are. We were talking not too long ago, uh, listening to Sinclair Ferguson about, uh, he, he, meant, he used an example of someone who, is, uh, who says, uh, come up against a, a situation where they lost their patience and said, I, I normally not like this. I'm usually a very patient person. He said, well, it's easy to be patient when nothing tests your patience. But then when the test comes, then you see who you really are. You see, all, all of our good works that we do, well, it's, they're done with that restraint. God keeps us from those tests that would really test us. We've, we've never been tried like Jesus was tried. We've never been tested. It's always we're, we're living under the grace of God, the restraining grace of God. And so we've never been tested, had, our, had the depths of our sin, or the depths of our weakness tested. We've never been allowed that. And you, we could look at any number of things, just, just the, uh, the people around us, the shame of knowing that friends and family would find something out often shields us from going and doing the things that if we were alone in the world and no one would find out, what would we do? We don't have a proper view of our own hearts 
the depravity of our own hearts. We, we don't really believe that sin is that evil, that law-breaking is that bad. We have much too high a view of ourselves. One of the uh, common illustrations that's used of salvation is that of the, the drowning man. The man drowning out in the, he's drowning out in the ocean and, and then the, uh, the lifeboat comes along and, and the captain throws the life ring into the water and all you have to do is grab on and, and hold on to the life ring and you'll be saved. And of course the picture, it works really well. It's really, uh, it's vivid, it makes sense. And so uh, Jesus is the captain of the boat and he's throwing the life ring of salvation out to you and you hold on by faith. And that's partly true. There is some truth to it. But when Jesus comes to us, we're not just about to drown. Ephesians says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We have to be made alive first. And what about after? Well, then we're made alive and then we can hold on to Christ by faith. Yes, we have to have faith. But again, we need his strength. If it were left up to us to hold on to Christ, we wouldn't make it to the end. We need his strength. You may as well try to fly across the nation hanging on to the wing of a 747. You won't be able to hang on for long. We need him. Christ's law keeping. That's the only hope that we have. We're not hoping in our ability, in our works. And it doesn't matter what you plug in there. Okay, let's say, well, all right, the law is out, but... Let's see what else we can plug in. And we'll plug in faith. We'll plug in good deeds. Well, and and we can even make up our own good deeds. Well, I did this for someone and I did that and I helped that that lady with her groceries and 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 I helped the neighbor. I mowed his yard while he was away and he didn't even ask and I didn't. And we come up with all sorts of things that we label as good works. And then we decide these should be enough for God to accept us and to forgive us. We hold up all sorts of things and say, God, here are my good works. This adds to my salvation. This is good enough for you. But it doesn't work that way. We're not bargaining with God. We are not bringing these things and forcing him to accept them. But how many people do you know that are depending on their goodness for salvation? Well, if there is a God, he ought to accept me. I'm not that that bad of a person. He ought to accept me. I've I've, I've not done hard drugs. I didn't didn't cheat on tests uh, that many times. I didn't, and and we go on and, and we decide... All of these things that God ought to accept. But what is the standard? And this goes back to what we were talking about this morning. What is the standard? It's not a human standard of, well, what I make up as good works. What what does it take? Loving the Lord your God. That's the standard. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart. 
So it doesn't matter what we plug into that place, whether it's the act of faith or anything else. If we try to harness ourselves into the yoke with Jesus and earn our salvation, we will fail. And Peter says, why do you test God? Why are you putting God to the test by adding a yoke too heavy to bear? This is too much. It cannot be done. No, what does Peter say? We believe that that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And he's saying here, Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. Salvation is in Christ alone. So is the law evil? Is there use to the law for the Christian? We just went through the Sunday school series talking the whole Christ. Talking about the... uh, the legalist who wants to add to God's law and try to look to their own works. And, and then the antinomian who just casts it all off and casts it away and says, no, let me live as I will. I'm, I'm saved by grace. I can do as I will. That's not acceptable either. This morning we read from 1 Peter. And what did he press upon us in 1 Peter 1? That we are to be holy as God is holy. We are a called out people. He said, you're not bought with perishable things. You were bought with the price of the precious blood of Christ. That's what it took to redeem you. That's what it took to save you. And so this is how you ought to live. The law remains good for us. Not for salvation. But it remains beneficial to us. It is how do we how we know how to live in a way that is pleasing to God. And we could look at uh, we've looked in the past at the divisions of the law, the moral law, civil law and the the ceremonial law and the ceremonial law, how it points to Christ. And so we don't uh, abide by, for for example, not eating pork. That's part of the ceremonial law. And, and we looked at that when we saw the, uh, uh, the Gentile inclusion. God says, don't call unclean what I have called clean. And so that part of the law was fulfilled in Christ. And then, uh, so then we have the Gentile inclusion. So uh, even the ceremonial law is instructive to us, though we don't keep it in the same way as the Jews were called to keep it because God said this is fulfilled. But the moral law, the moral law still remains instructive to us. And then we can talk outside of this, uh, this sermon about how far the, uh, the, the civil law ought to be applied and, and all of that. But uh, discussion for another time. How, does the law, how is the law beneficial to us? How is it beneficial to the church in the past? Paul, returning to Galatians, Paul in Galatians chapter 3 says, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So that's one use of the law is it leads us to Christ. It led the church uh, through the years to Christ. And that, that becomes a... a 
a use of the law that is still applicable for us today. And here I'm going to just turn to Calvin's three uses of the law. It's something that you ought to know. Uh, John Calvin uh, laid these out. uh, First is the law as a mirror that shows man's true nature and the need for Christ, drives us to Christ. It shows us who we are, how far we've fallen, what we didn't keep. And secondly, there's a more general restraint on evil. There's a more general restraint on evil. Thou shalt not kill. That it, it's, it restrains the world from being as bad as it could be. And then thirdly, it's a guide to believers. How do we live? We love God. We're saved by Christ. We're united to Christ's law keeping. We're united to his uh, death to his resurrection. But how do we live then? We live according to God's law, but not for salvation. It's how we love the Lord our God. So we don't kill because we love the Lord our God. We don't, uh, we don't get angry with our brother without a cause because we love the Lord our God. And, and that's, that's the sin. It teaches us what sin is. It shows us what, what is wrong in us that ought to be cut out. The things that we ought to be crucifying in ourselves. Crucifying the flesh. What does that mean? How, what does that look like? How do you crucify the flesh? Well, that takes us back to the law. And so we see Jesus himself teaching us from the law. We see the apostles teaching us from the law. How do we crucify the flesh? How do we show, how do we live as those who are holy? How do we show our love to God? The larger catechism, question 95, we read this some months ago, uh, says this, of what use is the moral law to all men? Moral law is of use to all men to inform them of the holy nature and will of God and of their duty binding them to walk accordingly, to convince them of their disability to keep it, and of their sinful pollution, the sinful pollution of their nature, hearts, and lives, to humble them in the sense of their sin and misery, and thereby help them to a clearer sight of the need that they have of Christ and the perfection of his obedience. Attempting to turn to law-keeping, or anything else is a return to slavery. We're enslaved to sin before Christ. We're we're, uh, unable to help ourselves. We're unable to cast off the yoke. Returning to that, say, from Christ, is slavery. Listen to Galatians chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision, and here speaking of the whole law of Moses in that, and it's all encompassed there, uh, that every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. 
You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. This is Peter is is pressing upon us and, and pressing upon the Jerusalem council. Do not do this. Don't try to trust in your works for salvation. Don't submit to, to this yoke. You can't do it. So yes, the law is good. And we still, conf- we still affirm with the, the psalmist, the law of the Lord is perfect. It's beautiful. It's lovely. All of God's word, it stands forever. It's a living and active word. But we cannot ever trust in our ability to keep this law for salvation. Peter says it's testing God to tell anyone that this is what they need for salvation. Salvation is in Christ alone. Salvation is in Christ alone. That's where your trust is. That's where your hope is. Your only hope is in Christ for salvation. Just a note here. This is the last time we hear from Peter in the book of Acts. Uh, Now it turns to Paul's uh, ministry and it's going to be more focused on the on the Gentile missions. So this is this is Peter's uh, Peter's last testament to us in the book of Acts. As far as uh, the author Luke is concerned, do not turn again to the yoke of slavery. Don't trust in your works for righteousness. We'll be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus That's the way that all people, anybody who will be saved, is saved in Christ. There is no other means. That yoke, ox yoke in my office, it's a reminder of of that difficult work, a difficult time when men had to get up at 4 a.m. and do the milking and then so that they could get in for breakfast to go out to the fields and plow all day and plant. They could come back, do supper and do the milking and then fall into bed and do it all again. It was very difficult work. But it was achievable. You could make a living doing that. It's different with salvation. You can't work hard enough to give yourself life. You can't work hard enough to give yourself salvation. It doesn't work. It's a yoke too heavy to bear. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What does he say? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. The only thing that we can do is go to Christ. That's the only place that there is salvation. Salvation is all of Christ. Solus Christus. So trust in Christ alone for salvation. Not in your own works. Never offering them to God as a an addition to Christ's righteousness, but only giving yourself as a sacrifice to him of love. Your body is living sacrifice, a sacrifice of praise, never for salvation. 
It's all in Christ alone. And because it is, then we can have a sure hope of salvation. We can have assurance of salvation because the one who could keep the law did keep the law. The one who could die in our place did die in our place. The one who could overcome death rose again. That's where our hope is. Let's pray. Lord our God, we thank you. We thank you that Jesus Christ kept the law perfectly. Oh, we thank you that salvation is not dependent on us or on our works. All hope would be lost. All hope would be lost. Oh, Lord, we thank you for Jesus, that he is offered to us freely in the gospel. May each heart flee to Christ and cling to him. All our hope is in him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.